Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 11 of Genesis chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 10 through verse 14. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Bedulum and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And I'll stop reading there. Now God here is telling us of four rivers and the land that those rivers compass, that they flow into or around. And we may recognize some of the names like Ethiopia or Assyria or the Euphrates, which we identify with Babylon. And yet we have to keep in mind, this is the very beginning of the world. This earth and its rivers and its lands will be very different than the earth and its geography that will take shape after the flood. And the whole landscape of the world changes after the flood. And following that, there's also the division of the continents. And so the land of Assyria mentioned here would not be the same land of Assyria that we're reading about here. The Euphrates River would not be the same river as the river Euphrates we would read later in the Bible. But that does not mean that the names Assyria or Euphrates or Ethiopia will not have the same spiritual meaning. Because God, of course, knowing the end from the beginning, knowing all things from the start, would realize what he would do with Assyria and Euphrates and so forth in the coming days. And so he could apply the same meaning to those countries or rivers or names, the same spiritual meaning right from the very start. And that is the case as we read of these four heads of the river. As it says in Genesis 2 verse 10, and a river went out of Eden to water the garden. So the first place the river waters is Eden itself. And as we've been mentioning, the Garden of Eden was the outward representation of God's kingdom on earth. The very first outward representation of the kingdom of heaven on the earth was Eden. And to follow would be national Israel, would be the New Testament churches and congregations. And in all cases, with those that represent God, with the entities of Israel or the church, the word of God was centralized within Israel or centralized within the churches and congregations and they would experience the first benefit of having the word of God in their midst. 
And so, a river, and the river that flows forth out of Eden, is picturing the word of God, the gospel. As it says in Psalm 46, verse 4, There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. And in Isaiah 41, we read of a river, in verses 17 and 18, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, Jehovah, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places, and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water, and the dry land springs of water. And this is all spiritual language. The poor and needy seek water, and there is none. That is, the spiritually poor, poor in spirit, as Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because they would be his elect people. When they seek water, when they have a need for the gospel of salvation, God will open rivers in high places to bring forth the gospel water to satisfy, to quench their thirst as they hunger and thirst after righteousness. And the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness is what quenches the thirst of the poor and needy soul. And here the word river ties in with the flow, the going forth of the word of God, the gospel. In Isaiah 66, verse 12, For thus saith Jehovah, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck, ye shall be born upon her sides, and be dandled upon his knees as one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So the river is pointing to the going forth of the gospel water, and again the first place that it flows into is the garden itself. And so Israel was blessed, having care of the oracles of God. The church was blessed, as they had the Bible in their midst, as the Bible was situated on the podiums in the pulpits of every church. They were blessed. And traditionally, historically, in the church age, the pastor would preach to the congregation first, and then, if he were preaching right, The people of the congregation would disperse after coming together that Sunday, and they would go and talk to their families and talk to their neighbors, and even going further, they would go out into the world as missionaries. And so the river went out of Eden to water the garden first, and then it goes on to say, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. And the number four points to universality. We have four directions of the compass. North, south, east, west. And that takes into account all the landmass, all the areas of the world are either north, south, east, or west. And so it is a universal number. So the water of the gospel, God is indicating with this language of the river becoming four heads, 
will come forth out of Eden or out of the kingdom of God and disperse throughout the world. It will go into the world. And that has always been God's plan and purpose in his program of salvation was to send forth his word and through the message of the word of God, the Bible, faith came as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And God would bless that word to the hearts and minds of his elect, those predestinated to receive it those ordained to believe, and they would hear it and believe they would be born again. God would create a new heart and new spirit. God would act upon them in their spiritual area, in their, of course, at that time, their dead heart, and God would create life. He would spark life, and they would come to life once again. Their soul would be restored And from looking at it from the vantage of Adam, as man had life once in Adam, then he died, and then the new birth is a restoration of life. And that's why Psalm 23 says, He restoreth my soul. Not the individual sinner was alive before, as we're all born in trespasses and sins, so we're conceived in sin and we're born speaking lies, we're born spiritually dead. But in the sense we were all alive in Adam once, now we are alive again. Our soul has been restored. And that would accomplish the purpose of God in sending forth his word. What goes on to say in verse 11 of Genesis 2, The name of the first is Pison. This is the first riverhead that is flowing forth from Eden, the gospel water coming from the kingdom of heaven, and his outward representation on earth at that time, Eden of old, and what Eden spiritually represents in generations to come, God's kingdom as represented on earth. And so Pison is said to be the first. The name Pison is only used here in the Bible, and I'm not sure exactly what that name means but were helped by the land of Havilah. The name Havilah is used elsewhere in the Bible a few times, and it's also used in Genesis chapter 25, verse 18. It says, And they dwelt from Havilah unto Shur, that is before Egypt, as thou goest toward Assyria. And he died in the presence of all his brethren. Now again, that would be different places, a whole different landscape, because Genesis 25 is happening after the division of the continents, after the flood. But still, the spiritual meaning of the word, the name Havilah, would remain the same. And Havilah is used there and also in another verse in relationship to Egypt. It has close proximity to Egypt. And so when we look up all the verses, that's about all we can ascertain from this word. And that does fit as Egypt typifies the world. And this river coming forth from Eden is flowing out through four heads, indicating universality. So it compasses the whole land of Havilah, which would relate to Egypt or to the world. In other words, the gospel is flowing forth into the world, is what Havilah is representing. 
and that idea fits the overall picture. And then it says at the end of verse 11, where there is gold. In Havilah, there is gold. And we've talked about gold many times before, as God likens true believers to precious stones. He does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and other places. God likens true believers to gold, silver, precious stones. And that's the point here spiritually. In Havilah there is gold, or in the world there are elect. There are God's people that he has, first of all, predestinated to save. These are the people Christ has taken their sins upon himself and died for them at the point of the foundation of the world and rose from the dead to justify them also at the foundation of the world. And God has obligated himself to complete their salvation, which would involve saving their soul, the first resurrection, and then saving their body at the resurrection of the end of the world, the resurrection of their physical body, where they'll be given a new spiritual body. It's all part of the one glorious and magnificent package of God's salvation that he has granted freely by grace to these people, and they are found in the world just as gold is found in Havilah. And the water goes forth and encompasses the whole land of Havilah. It doesn't miss any part of it. It is completely wrapped up with Havilah. There's not an area that the water will not impact. And there is the gold. Of course, the idea is the gospel flows forth into the world And as a result, there will be true believers. It will accomplish the purpose it was sent forth to accomplish by God, which is finally the salvation of his elect. And they will be like gold, that enduring and valuable substance that is precious and valuable and taken out of the land. And, well, that is saying more than this verse is saying. This verse is basically just telling us that there is gold therein. There are elect within the world. And and so um, uh, the water is, um, it is going into the right area. The river is flowing forth into the correct place. And then it says in verse 12 of Genesis 2, And the gold of that land is good. There is bedulum and the onyx stone. And, well, God has just finished creating all things. He created the world. He created the sun, moon, and stars. He created the mountains and trees and oceans and rivers and plant life and all the creatures and mankind. And after he created everything... It said back in Genesis one thirty one, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. All was good. Well, since all is good, we wonder why God would emphasize that the gold of that land is good. Of course it is. And so is everything else about the land at this point before the fall. But 
we would have to say that God is looking ahead. He is forecasting his plan of salvation, of his gospel plan, as it would go out into a world full of sinners, in which there are none good, no, not one, the Bible tells us. And then what would the word of God do? What would the word of God perform in the lives of certain ones, these elect individuals? The word would create a new heart and a new spirit. It would bring a righteous, perfect soul to those that it saved. And they would be good once again in the eyes of God because all sin would be taken away, washed away by the gospel water, by the blood of Christ. God would see no sin of any kind upon these people once the word of God operated upon them and therefore they become good. The gold of that land is good. And then it goes on to say, in verse 12, there is Bedulum and the onyx stone. Now, Bedulum is found only one other place in the Hebrew, and that's in Numbers chapter 11, verse 7. It says, And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof as the color of Bedulum. The manna that God sent down from heaven above, that miraculous food that nourished and sustained the people of Israel for 40 years in their wilderness sojourn, is described as having the color of bedulum. And that's the only other place in the Old Testament that this word that we find in Genesis 2.12 is used. And this is the way we come to spiritual understanding of various words. We see how they're used elsewhere. Now, when a word is used only a couple of times, a handful of times, in some ways it makes it a little bit easier for us to make the identification. Of course, if the word's only used in the verse we're looking at, it's more difficult. Or if it's used a hundred times... It can be more difficult because then we have to search a hundred places. And if it's translated ten different words, it can be more time consuming to search it all out. It can add to the definition. But often when a word is only used two or three or four times, it can be helpful. And in this case, it is because bedulum is tied to through its use in Numbers 11 verse 7. Manna, manna that falls from heaven. And so, manna, we know, relates to Christ himself. And Christ is the word made flesh. Jesus likens himself to the bread of heaven. And, of course, the manna, that miraculous bread, sustained Israel only physically. Christ is the spiritual bread that if a man eat thereof, he shall never die. And that's, again, what the gospel does in the lives of God's elect. It brings eternal life. It brings salvation. It brings a cleansing of sin. And so, the gold of that land is good. There is bedulum. There is the gospel that brings forth the bread from heaven and salvation. It brings eternal life. 
to the people of God as the Lord Jesus Christ came to save his people from their sins, we're told in Matthew one twenty one, And so the word bedulum makes that connection. And then finally it says in verse 12, in the onyx stone, in the onyx stone is used several times, but one key place is in Exodus 28. And I'll read a few verses here, beginning in verse 9, Exodus 28. And here God is giving instructions concerning the garments that the high priest of Israel, Aaron at that time, would wear. And they're also making these garments, developing them. In Exodus 28, verse 9, Thou shalt take two onyx stones, engrave on them the names of the children of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and the other six names of the rest on the other stone, according to their birth. And that word birth is also generations. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in alches of gold. Thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before Jehovah upon his two shoulders for a memorial. Aaron, the high priest, when he would go in and make sacrifice, was bearing their names on his two shoulders for a memorial. The names of the children of Israel. And we can see the spiritual dimension in this language as the children of Israel, the twelve tribes, relate to spiritual Israel, those that God saves, Aaron, the high priest of Israel, the first high priest, is a picture of the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ, as Aaron bore their names, literally, he had their names engraved on the onyx stones on his shoulders. So he bore their names that way. So also does the great high priest bear the names or he bore the sin of the names of all God's elect perhaps numbering as many as 200 million, all spiritual Israel. You know, our name was known to Christ before the foundation of the world, and our name really represents all that we are, and all that we are are sinners, and all of our sin was laid upon him, and Christ bore that sin in our stead and died for our sins in our place, and made satisfactory payment for all of our sin, freeing us from the law's demand that we die. He died in our place. And so that's what the onyx stone is pointing to, as we see that the gold points to the believers. The bedulum points to those that receive the eternal life from the bread of heaven. And the onyx stone points to the gospel, which declares that the sins of these people, the Israel of God, have been laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with each one of these words, God is indicating that the river, the riverhead Pison, which has gone into Havilah, will wonderfully accomplish his purpose of saving his people 
and they will experience the great blessing of salvation. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.